Hello friends and welcome back to the intro. This is your host Matt Delavalle, aka MDV, and I'm joined today by NC Fit's own Lindsay Locke. Now Lindsay is certainly a woman who's making waves at NC Fit, but also way beyond NC Fit. She's a coach, an athlete, the host of multiple podcasts, including her own show called Get Sight and the latest NC Fit podcast called Women Making Waves. She's an NC Fit marketer, the head of engagement, and also, on top of all that, well on her way to becoming a licensed psychotherapist. Now, Lindsay is also one of the realest people I've ever met. She's honest, authentic, and thoughtful, and all those qualities make her extremely good at whatever she does. In this episode, me and Lindsay dive into a number of topics, including her experience in working in an addiction recovery facility, the importance of empathy and honesty in any relationship, and how trauma, healing, and coaching all come together. I hope you get psyched for this episode. I know I was. Grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Lindsay Locke. Let's go. Welcome back to the intro. On the show today, I'm very excited to talk to NC Fit's own Lindsay Locke. Lindsay's been with NC Fit in different capacities over the years. She started off in 2016 as a coach for us. She coached at NC Fit, and then she actually got brought into a couple of other different projects, more on the marketing side. She took some time off to pursue something that we'll talk about later on in the show, but Lindsay's back with NC Fit now. She's the head of marketing, social media, engagement for us. She does a lot of amazing stuff working on different projects, in particular, working on the Women Make Waves project right now for us that we're going to launch in the month of March. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And that hiatus that you took from NC Fit, I really want to dive into talking about what went on during that time period for you and what you're pursuing outside of NC Fit, because it relates so deeply to what I think a lot of coaches actually experience on a day-to-day when they're in the gym, the idea of empathy, relationships, trust. I'll let you kind of talk through what you did during that two years that you took off from NC Fit and also that advanced degree that you're pursuing outside of what you're doing with us. Yeah, totally. First, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be a part of the intro. (laughs) Um, So I think like most coaches experience, you realize that you're doing so much more than giving a coaching cue to someone in your class. You know, you start building rapport, you start building friendships, members come in every single day. And what I started to notice is like outside of the gym in work life, in life life, there's not very much time where people get an hour Mm. of attention, an hour of validation and are really, really seen. Um, and so, you know, you start worrying about your client's son's t-ball game, right? Mm-hmm. When they come in on Monday and you can ask them about that, they're psyched to hear from you and be like, oh my God, she remembered that Timmy had t-ball. And so you start building this rapport and you start working with people in some of the most vulnerable states because you're working with their body. And we can dive into that a whole lot later. Um, But what I noticed was that we were doing so much more than health. We were doing Mm -hmm. so much more than fitness and, um, without digressing too much. Um, I was raised in a single mother household, um, that was just kind of riddled with addiction. So I watched it my entire life. Um, I also knew that every time my mom got sober, 
um, at the forefront of her sobriety was health and wellness. Like, was she taking care of herself? Was she going to the gym? What was she eating? Um, and so I noticed that there was this very holistic lifestyle change that happened. Mm-hmm. So I got the opportunity while coaching at NC Fit um, to actually partner with a 90-day holistic, non-traditional, so non-12-step mm-hmm. uh, drug and alcohol substance abuse rehabilitation center. And they brought me on as their fitness director. I launched um, fitness as a part of this program. So just as much as clients would go to psychoeducation blocks and group therapy Mm -hmm. and experiential therapy five days a week, they had to participate in fitness, whether that was CrossFit or yoga. Um, And so in Raveled in that, I was also meeting with clients Mm one-on-one Um, It started as, hey, we're just going to sit down and like talk about the basics of fitness more so so that me as a coach, right? Like when we get coaches or excuse me, when we get athletes coming in the gym in the more traditional gym setting, they've gone through an on-ramp class or they've gone through, you know, elements. The clients I was getting were just coming out of detox, right? So it was a very, very different thing. So I imagined going into these one-on-one sessions with just like, more so for me, like, what is your fitness background? What kind of athlete am I getting in the gym? How are we going to work with this? Do you have any injuries, right? The same kind of thing that you would ask any new athlete coming into the gym before they hit an elements class. Um, and then I would check in with them throughout the 90 days, right? If they, you know, depending on their drug of choice, what nutritional changes can we make to help rebuild your gut health? What nutritional changes can we make to help kind of these neurotransmitters in the brain that might need some extra help and different things like that. Um, And what it turned into was clients sharing their trauma with me. And what we learn in trauma informed therapy is that trauma is stored in the body. So at the time I had no idea, right? I had no idea I was working with trauma. I just thought I was working with fitness and, uh, I got called into the clinical director's office and I'm shaking because I'm like, oh, why is the clinical director calling me in? What's Getting going trouble. on? Yeah. yeah, I'm like sweating. And he's like, hey, you know, the data that you're writing after all of these sessions is data that none of the other counselors are getting. Like they're not telling their one-on-ones. They're not telling their group counselors these things. What are you saying to people or what are you doing to get these like, really traumatic, you know, stories and backgrounds out of people. And I was like, I'm just showing up. I'm Mm -hmm. showing up the same way we show up in the gym every single day for our clients. And we have no idea what they're coming in with. Right. And so, um, he said, I know that you're really passionate about psychology. I know that you've thought about going back and getting your master's in counseling psychology and becoming a therapist and doing these things. And with the work that you're doing here, you need to go do it. Like, wow. This is the school that you should go to. This is the program that I think is most fitted for what you enjoy and what you do. Um, You should go pursue this. And so three weeks later, I was in grad school. Wow. Yeah. So in that time when you were uh, the director of that um, fitness at that uh, addiction facility, you then transitioned into pursuing your master's of counseling psychology, right? And you've earned that MFT credential right now. Yeah. So I'm an MFT associate. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are in your master's program, um, my program was three years. The first two years is a lot of 
clinical theory and application. And then the last year is basically like similar to a residency for a doctor. Mm -hmm. You're out in the field, you're working with clients and you start working towards uh, licensure hours. So before you can be a licensed MFT, you have to have 3000 of those supervised hours. You graduate with about 300, I think 280 is like the requirement. And then after graduation, you just chip away at that 3000. And the real work begins. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of time under supervised um, counseling. But, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting here, Lindsay, is like, you know, the, the stuff that we do on the floor as coaches in, in our type of fitness, right. NC fit and CrossFit functional training, like it's very much based around the relationship between the coach and the athlete. At least I think so. Right. And, you know, to have that deeper understanding of what's going on psychologically, I think is hugely important. And obviously right now, I think times are a bit different. We're not running large scale group classes. We don't have as much one-on-one interaction in the gyms, but you are still doing a level of coaching for us. Can you tell me how that new perspective on psychology has influenced your coaching style or your approach? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the idea of counter transference, right. We talk about it a lot in therapy and it's when your own stuff comes up in the room. So sometimes your client will say something and it hits one of my like core wounds. Right. And instead of being triggered or wanting to like react to them, Mm. like coming back into my body, breathing, grounding, knowing that I'm here and responding to the client is, and their needs is more important. Mm. And I think that that has taught me so much about working with athletes now is like, when your athlete comes into the gym, you can be the best coach, right? And if you are not listening to what your athlete is saying, if you hear them, but you're not listening like, what are your goals? Even if you have goals and aspirations for this athlete, like, I think there's great, like to know your athlete's capacity and push them to that is great. But there's also like every different athlete is coming to the gym, wanting different things. And that is your job is to listen to them and find out what it is that they want and connect with them on a level that can get them there. Mm. Um, instead of, you know, throw on some more weight or even the way you talk to your athlete, like, um, I went through a major injury and I remember people saying like, Oh, come into the gym. We'll scale it. Uh, you know, just move your body. And those are all really important things. But for me being an injured athlete, I was like, wait, like I'm not a scaled athlete. If I don't have this sling on my arm, like I can do all these things. So even like the language and the power of language that you have mm. when you're working with your athletes is so important. And so I think to keep that in the back of your mind of, what is this athlete's goal? Not what are my goals for this athlete? And then how is my language going to impact what this athlete does? Hmm. You know, something that I think is interesting there is like, I I agree with you. I think a lot of times when, when coaches are thinking about what I'm going to administer to this athlete, they're, they're thinking a little bit more about what I need to give them right now versus what they need right now. Mm. or what their goal is right now. And I kind of think that the, the art is in balancing both of those things, because like you have an athlete coming into the gym for a specific reason, right? They're coming in to visit us at NC fit for fitness, health, nutrition, community, all the things that we do well. Right. And there's, there's certain things that are wrapped up in that. And there's certain end states that we want them to achieve. 
but they also come in and they have their own agenda and they have their own things that they need both long-term, short-term, that day, that moment. And artfully balancing both of those things and like knowing when to toggle a little bit more of like, okay, I can push you a little bit more today towards the things that Mm -hmm. you have signed up for, or I'm going to push you a little bit more towards the things or give you license to go towards the things that you need exactly right now. Right. I, I think that there's a somewhat of a balance between those two things, but I agree 100% that give exclusively me putting on you what I want you to have is not the right route. Yeah. And I think that fitness trainers, we have such an opportunity to work with people on a, on a more intimate level. Mm. Um, and the knowledge that we have, though we're not medical doctors and not all of us are nutritionists, like you think of how, the way the medical system is built right now. And the average doctor's appointment is like six minutes or less. Right. Yeah. Quadruple and the so, amount of time waiting for that guy in the yeah, fucking office. In the office. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas we get three to five, six hours a week with somebody. Yeah. And so what I found, especially working in the addiction center, but even with athletes, you know, not in the addiction center in, in our commercial locations, was we have no idea what that athlete is walking into the room with every single day. And, you know, some of the biggest things we learn about in psychology are like what your client is presenting with is a symptom. And it's our job as therapists to find the underlying cause, right? So like trauma can show up as depression, as anxiety, as all these different things. And if we just pre if we just treat depression and anxiety, we're not getting the root cause. If we treat trauma, the depression and anxiety will probably start to subside should the trauma be right, the Mm. root cause. And so I think as coaches and trainers, we have a civil duty. We have a right to like, if we're spending that much time with somebody to understand like if someone's coming in and they're not having the greatest day lifting, instead of being like, oh, like better luck tomorrow. You know, like we can, we can kind of investigate a little bit like, Hey, there's so many things that can affect a one rep max effort, right? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? You know, are you drinking enough water? And you might, and that was what was coming up for me as a coach is the more rapport you build with your athletes, you might find out like, you know, I'm actually going through a really difficult divorce right now. And I'm really tired. And it's like, okay, then you coming to the gym is not about hitting a PR today. You coming to the gym is your self-care and you're like, that is what's most important. And now it's my job as a coach to facilitate that environment. Does that come down to empathy and awareness? Like, because I, when I, uh, I hear those kinds of things and sometimes, you know, my mind jumps to the conclusion that some people might think that coaches are responsible for healing trauma. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's true, I might lean more into, hey, coaches need to be aware of things and need to be empathetic mm-hmm. towards situations that they might not immediately be on the, like uh, showing on the surface. Where, where are you in that balance? Is it, is it empathy awareness or is it, hey, let's investigate and let's actually dig into some of this stuff? Well, I mean, unless you're a trauma-informed healer of any sort, right? Whether that's a therapist, a doctor, or anything in between, um, it's not your job to heal therapy, 
yeah. or to hear heal trauma, excuse <clears throat> me, you, you don't even have the tools to really do it. And you could potentially cause more damage than, than good at that yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I wouldn't say go heal trauma by any means. However, I do think that we are some of the most influential people in our clients' lives. They're spending arguably the most time with us. And we have such an opportunity to be, I mean, we talk about it all the time, to be the best hour of that person's day. There's not very many times in that person's day, like at work or anything else, where someone is actively telling them like, good job. Like, thank you for showing up and giving me your effort. You are, you are giving me your time. Mm. And so I think that we just need to be mindful in the way that we are interacting with people when they're giving us that time. And I think that, again, it, it can be such a vulnerable place. And uh, I kind of laugh with my hairdresser, like hairdressers are also kind of like therapists, right? Because yeah, you're sitting there for barbers, two hours. Tattooers, yeah. yeah, you're sitting with this person for a long, long time. And so you, you start to build this relationship and you can get more vulnerable. And I think that, you know, if we want to really geek out on, on psychology, like my nervous system has the power to regulate yours. We have mirror neurons. So basically if I am in, if we want to go to like extreme, right. If I'm in fight or flight, I am traumatized. Something is happening the fastest way to get me grounded and back in this moment is to be with a safe person. And I, my nervous system can sink to theirs. So if they're grounded, they are not traumatized. They're not in this triggered state. The mirror neurons that I have will watch you and I will start breathing at your cadence. I will identify safety and I will calm back down into this space. Yeah. As opposed to you know, being around somebody who's off the walls, they're also triggered, things are going crazy for them. Yeah. Right. Your right. energy will be that person's energy. Right. Right. And so, and the traumatized person too, like my energy would meet theirs and we would be just like super anxious and traumatized mm. together. Right. Interesting. So as coaches, right. Like when athletes kind of get that, like, Oh, I'm going to the pain cave spot. Right. Or like, Oh, this lift is really heavy. If you walk past them, like, oh, you got it, you know, but if you connect with them in that moment, you're like, hey, I'm here. Like, we got this. You can do this. Like their nervous system is going to regulate to mine. And so one of the most healing things that we can do is just be with our athletes and like with them, not grabbing our phone and putting them on a story on social media or any of those things, but like truly just like connecting on an energetic level with your client is one of the best things that you can do with them showing up. Yeah. I, I like that, that concept, that, that, that feeling of being there and connecting and being all into your clients. And, you know, something you said a couple of minutes back about this idea of the coach being this very important figure in the athlete's life, important, maybe being an understatement. You know, I think that we sometimes underestimate how, crucial you are in that person's life or how much they look up to you or how much your opinion means to them. And, um, you know, that's a very deep relation, whether you're aware of it or not, you know, that's Mm -hmm. a very deep and trusting relationship that that person has with you. And it's not every athlete, you know, there, I think that there's probably a spectrum of it, but that's why I get so concerned about breaches of trust in, Mm -hmm. in that relationship. And a breach of trust can be something as germane as 
being on your phone, right, during a workout, that's a breach of trust to me. But it also can be a breach of trust if you're taking that person's things that they have told you in confidence and maybe spilling the beans about it or, you know, intentionally using that against them. Obviously, we, that's another spectrum of things that are different there. But can you talk a little bit about breaching trust and what happens to a relationship when that happens? Like on, on kind of all aspects of that spectrum, you know, minor, major. Yeah. I mean, when you, I'm, I'm sure that this is a spectrum for everyone, right. And depending on what it is that you're walking into, into the gym with, um, you know, some people might not recognize it. Some people might be used to living in chaos, depending on what their, what their background was like, and they might not recognize it at all. And they're kind of perpetuating this like trauma cycle. Right. Um, for some of us, you lose trust and you're like written off completely. Right. And that coach is going to have to work really, really hard. Um, as far as, as far as mending trust goes, I think a lot of like approaching it through, um, like emotionally focused therapy, EFT, we use it a lot with couples therapy and you can use it in family therapy too. Um, but the idea is that you get people back to the intended goal. So before I'll like sit down with a couple and start doing quote unquote, the work, right. It's just like, Hey, I want to make sure like, are we on the same team? Do we want the same things? Because if we're not even starting at that baseline, then we're not going to move forward in any sort of constructive way because it, it, it could be, you know, depending on what the rupture was and that rapport with your athlete, like it's possible that your athlete's going to go to another gym. Like if you yeah, it could be over, it could be done. And like, then your job as a coach is to like make amends as best you can respect what that person's responses and then no moving forward. Like, Ooh, like I'm never gonna, you know, I'm going to make sure that my client, my pregnant client has told everyone in the room that they're pregnant before mm. I say something or before I make like a vocal scale, you know, and spill the beans on, on this person's pregnancy or whatever it might be. Right. Mm. Can I ask um, you, sorry to interrupt. Can I ask you a question? So let's say it's yeah. like, um, let's say it's something more, I, I don't want to say less serious, but it's, it's not as kind of um, intense as, you know, you've revealed this big secret to a whole bunch of people. Let, let's say you've, you've done something more, minor that you definitely know that you've damaged this relationship with this person. Do you suggest that like, do you, do you go up to that person? Do you apologize? Do you talk to them one-on-one? -on -one? Should you just let your actions do the talking? Does it depend on the situation, the person and all that kind of stuff? Or what would you say there? Yeah. I mean, I think again, everybody is so different. So I don't know that there's a one size fits all or a cookie cutter mm. way to approach it. Um, for me, like, the best thing I can do is, is own my action and, and be transparent about it because, you know, you can say like, Oh, like in, in my head, right. Oh, I know that I've messed up. So I'm going to do all of these actions to make up for it. Well, the person receiving that could be like, Oh, did they just like blow it off? Did they, they forget? forget? Yeah. And now they're being super nice to me. Right. So for me, like I always am over vocal about like, owning it because that's really hard for most people. We're not programmed to admit when we have messed up. We, you know, apologize and say, I'm so sorry, but it's like to truly own it is different. And now you are mirroring 
like a great way to act and respond to adversity and showing them like how an appropriate way to show up would be. Um, and so, yeah, I would personally like really, really own that. And then like knowing that your words are not enough, then mm. the actions kick in. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that that's really important stuff to hear for coaches because it can be very easy to write something off as going, Hey, it wasn't a big deal. You know what? I'll just, next time I see them, I'll make sure that I'm just extra nice to that person. But that, that concept that people might hang on to something, no matter how minor you might view it is real. Like I'm thinking about situations in my head, both that I've been, uh, I don't want to say offended, but like I've been wronged or I've done something that I thought was minor. I'm like, that person is still holding on to that maybe mm -hmm. weeks or months or years later. Like I, as I've matured in this coaching journey, I think that being, being more upfront about those things and admitting and saying, Hey, listen, I, I, I was wrong here. I, I just want to apologize. I'm sorry. I should have done X, Y, or Z is really important. Yeah. And I think that we can all too often get caught up in the, I'm supposed to be the expert. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm not supposed to be wrong. I'm supposed to be message. perfect. Yeah. yeah. And we're not like we are human beings, period. And we're doing our best and you will fuck up. Like you will, but at some point you will do something that you're like, Ooh, I wish I would have done that differently. And you can learn and move forward at that point. Um, we were talking about this actually a lot with the women makes waves is like how hard it can be to ask for help or how hard it can be to admit when you were wrong, especially, like I said, when you've been put on this pedestal, either by your company or by your athlete to be the expert. Hmm. And if we can have, if we can be gentle with ourselves and like understand that we are human and we are going to make mistakes, that also is like, you're also now teaching life skills, right? To your athletes of like, look, I'm not perfect either. And like, if you're going to mess up because we all are, we're all humans and we're not perfect. Like you're showing them like, Hey, even the quote unquote expert fucks up too. Yeah. I, I, I can't make this as a, I can't ask you as a generalization across all female trainers, but I, I guess I can ask you in particular here. Mm -hmm. Have you, do, do you feel that pressure more as being a strong female in a, a more male dominated field? I don't want to say completely male dominated because we obviously have a ton of amazing female trainers out there, but just from a female perspective of, of knowing that you're in this space, that is, <clears throat> there's a lot of masculine energy in the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of male, very kind of powerful male personalities within functional training and CrossFit, is there more of a, Hey, I have to live up to that in your head, or is it more of like a, I can be this and, and not worry about that. Um, yeah. Um, I would, I, it was there. Hmm. Um, I mean, I started coaching in 2012, 2013. Ooh, so there were even mean. less, <laughs> there were even less ladies, uh, in the coaching field at that point there were even less female athletes in the gym. You know, there were plenty of times that I would come in and coach and coach nothing but men from yeah. 6 a.m. to noon. Um, and so my narrative for a really long time was like, lean into your masculine, be one of the boys, take no shit, like 
you have to say everything you're going to say with so much conviction because nobody's taking you seriously in this field. Um, and I did that for a really long time. And the more work I started doing individually, the more I realized like I'm doing people such a disservice by showing up as somebody that's not me. That's heavy. And it took a long time, but now it's like, I would way rather lean into what makes Lindsay authentic and what makes Lindsay who Lindsay is and show up as that person for my athletes. Cause that is the person that's going to make a difference in somebody's life. Um, and so that's been a lot of work. I mean, here we are 2021. Like I would hope that in general I had changed and morphed and, and become a different person to some extent, but yeah, it's definitely affected the way that I, that I coach and I show up. How, what would your, so regardless of whether or not you're male or female or, 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 or whatever you identify as, um, you know, what, what advice would you have for somebody who needs to be themselves? How do you be more of yourself? You know, how, how do you do that? Because there's certainly a, um, a pressure to be more, you know, when you're a trainer and, you know, we say it all the time, you got to be that bigger version of yourself. I think that that's a little bit different, but there are certainly been times when I've compared myself to whoever I'm looking at out there. Who's what I would consider the best coach in the world. And I'm like, I got to be that, but do, do I have to be that? Or do I just have to be more of me? How, how, how do you, what would you tell somebody to be, be themselves? Yeah. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with having role models hmm. or people that you're like, wow, that person is really versed in this field. And I want to learn more about that. Right. Like, I think that we can pick and choose things and make them our own. Um, nobody wants me to come and like regurgitate something that somebody else has said, you know, like, I think that we do do a good job as coaches picking like cues that work for us and adding them to our toolbox. And, and that's different. I think coaching cues, the things that you can, what I say often is anyone can learn how to be a coach. Anyone can learn the points of performance and say them to people. What makes a great coach is somebody that can do that and can connect with their athlete. And you hire, at least in my opinion, you hire people based on the things that you cannot teach. And that's that. what makes a really good coach. Um, so as far as showing up as yourself or as the best version of yourself, I mean, that's always going to be a work in progress. Um, I think if we check in and, you know, on a one to 10 scale and a one is really crappy and a 10 is like, you know, the best day ever, we know that we're not going to live at a 10 ever. If we can hang out in like seven or eight world, you're doing pretty, pretty well. And so to hang out in that seven or eight and be able to check in with self and how am I doing and how am I showing up and not let it become a comparison thing, but let it come as like a, I'm doing a genuine check-in, like, am I showing up in my authenticity? You've got to have a self-care practice. Mm. You've got to, got to, got to. And whether that, you know, we talk self-care a lot in the gym about working out and these different things. Um, but I might argue for coaches, how important it is that you have a self-care practice that is outside of fitness to some extent, because now you're marrying your job with something that's supposed to be taking care of you. Like there's an area of our brain that's not going to be able to disconnect the two. 
So yes, your own personal fitness is very, very important. Don't get me wrong, but to implement something like breath work, meditation, journaling, something like that, um, that allows you to really, really get into deep reflection is going to uh, set you up for better success to show up as authentically as you can throughout Mm. your day. Gotcha. Yeah. I I guess, you know, the, the times when I've, I certainly have role models and I certainly have people I lean on and ask them for advice and mentorship. And, you know, I guess where I've found myself beating myself up over the years is either when I'm comparing myself to my own performances as uh, something that is uh, maybe unattainable in the moment, or I'm comparing myself to somebody else's performances that may be unattainable in the moment. And I'm not able to, to see that there's essentially sometimes I don't have grace for myself, right? Like there's no Mm -hmm. grace there. There's no like willingness to look at it and be like, I can learn from this situation as opposed to comparing myself to what this standard might be and feeling that I've always fell short of that. If I, if I didn't, didn't get there, you know, and that, that to me sometimes is hard to, as a, I'm guessing, I'm like, what is this? This is therapy right now. <laughs> We're going to therapy. I'm here for it. No, no, I'm no, here no, for no. it. But what I'm, just, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like, I think that the standards that sometimes I compare myself to as being a high performer, or even as athletes compare themselves to as being mm-hmm. high performers can be unhealthy at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, great example. I, um, competing actually mm-hmm. tore all the ligaments in my left elbow. Um, so I went from competition floor training four to five hours a day, tracking every macro, like on the road to, at the time regionals, right. To not being able to tie my shoes within a matter of seconds. Um, and coming back from that, thankfully, I shouldn't say thankfully a silver lining of how long it took for this injury to heal and how long it took to have surgery and have, you know, all of these different medical interventions happen. I had started going to school to become a therapist. So I had a lot of tools to work with it, but I know like leaving that competition floor at what felt like the best shape of my life to spend four years coming back from that injury and then trying to get back to the gym floor, there was always that voice that was like, Lindsay, like this was a warm up weight. Why are you having a hard time moving it? Or, mm. you know, like I don't do muscle ups anymore. And that's because it like, if I'm training for longevity and I do tons of muscle ups in a workout, my elbow is going to get so inflamed that I'm not going to train for the next five days because I'm going to be rehabbing it. So kind of taking, you know, that into consideration in the moment, like, do I want to do this long-term or do I want to show up for my ego right now, you know, for this one moment. Um, and what I come back to a lot, which is like one of my mantras all the time is like, we are human beings, not human doings. Like we are meant to be here in this moment. It's all we're guaranteed. I don't know what's coming tomorrow and I can't change what happened yesterday, but I know that I have, if I have any power right now, it's what's happening in this moment. And so when I start, you know, 
we're all human. We're going to fall into comparison. We're going to fall into, especially if something triggers something from our past, like we're going to be insecure. Things are going to come up. But the first thing that we can do to even change those thoughts, Mm. should we want to, is bring conscious awareness to them. Because so often we start living in comparison or we live in these like less ideal states and we don't even know why we're there. We don't recognize that we're living there. We don't know how we got there. And it's really hard to get out of it when that becomes our waking state or our consciousness or our reality. Go ahead. How, how does somebody snap themselves out of that spiral? You know, because yeah. it can, it become, becomes consuming, right? You start to think about, you know, maybe a poor performance. You start to think about the past. You start to think about, you know, this is who I used to be. How, how do you bring yourself back to a present state awareness and how do you ground yourself? Yeah. So I love that you say, how do you ground yourself? Because my answer to that is a grounding technique. Um, anything that can get me. So two things, grounding techniques and mindfulness practice. So a lot of people think of mindfulness as I have to sit on a floor pillow for 30 minutes in, you know, with my hands on my knees and breathe. And like, that's really hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, and I won't go too far into psychology, but like, if you're, if you have a ton of trauma, just asking somebody to close their eyes for that long is traumatic and hard. So a mindfulness practice doesn't have to be super hard. It is honestly just recognizing when my mind wanders and bringing it back to the breath. And so whether you do that for one minute, two minutes, 10 minutes a day, That is the goal, right? The goal is to start building new neural pathways. And every time my mind wanders, the work, quote unquote, the work is to bring my awareness back, not to judge myself for the fact that my mind went to my grocery list or my to-do list later, but to be like, Ooh, I'm doing it again. Boom, bring it back. So that's your mindfulness practice, right? And I can build like time under tension, just like doing reps in the gym. I can get better and better and better at that the more I practice it. And if I have, like I said, a designated self-care practice, I can catch myself doing that in my everyday life if I've spent some time developing it. If you're super, like you notice something in the moment that like, oh, I'm future tripping. Oh, I'm in comparison. Oh, I'm doing all these different things. I do a quick grounding technique. So I'll just like pick a color that comes to mind. I'll be like, all right, find every blue thing in the room. And I look around, I get very aware of my surroundings and nothing else is in that moment except me looking for all of the blue things in the room. And now I'm here. Mm. I'm out of comparison. I'm out of my negative psych, uh, thought cycle. And I'm just looking for blue things in the room because that's inherently here and inherently present. Mm. So I think those two things, um, again, your mind's going to wander. Those things are going to happen. And so it takes spending time outside of that thought process to actually like build the reps and build the time under tension to be able to bring it back to your awareness when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having, yeah, some sort of grounding practice that when you do notice it, you can be like, Ooh, I need to be here. You, you briefly mentioned breath in there and, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that I, it comes up a lot in, in talking to uh, you know, behavioral psychologists and also um, just you know, mindfulness practice and, and meditation. Why is breathing and, and that awareness of breath so important? Yeah. Um, so I talked about it a little bit about uh, our nervous systems earlier. 
And one of the best things being in the presence of someone else that has a regulated nervous system. If we don't have that, the number one thing that signals to our body that we are safe is our breath. So when someone's triggered, when someone's in fight or flight, it's those very shallow chest breaths, right? My shoulders are moving up and down. There's actually a nerve ending at the back of my throat that when I'm breathing through my mouth triggers that I'm ready to run. My muscles contract and I get ready to go. If I can take a second, close my mouth, right? Start nasal breathing. And I get that big breath into my stomach. It tells my nervous system that I'm safe. It actually calms me down. If I hang out in like my everyday day-to-day is the green zone, right? I get into like some heightened awareness. I sense some sort of danger. I'm in that yellow zone. My, my breath might start changing. My eyes dilate to look at the, at the horizon. My muscles start to contract and cortisol starts to release in my body. And if I perceive that threat, right, that dangerous stimulus, and I realize like, oh, I'm in real danger, boom, I've now boosted into the red zone and I'm ready to run or fight or any of those like, right, fight or flight freeze responses that, that is deep, deep, deep in our nervous system and in our brain. Um, so most often when we're in the yellow, if we can recognize that we're in the yellow and we don't have that perceived danger, like, oh, the bear is going to get me or, oh, this dangerous thing's really going to happen. I need to move into red. If I can see that I'm in yellow, recognize that I'm actually safe and take that nasal breath, that's going to slowly bring me back down into the green. Hmm. So our breath is this tool that we have at our disposal all the time. It's in our autonomic nervous system. Thank God we don't have to remember how to breathe every day. (laughs) That'd be exhausting. But if we can bring awareness to it, it's our number one tool to keep us safe. When coaches are faced with adversity in the gym, I, you know, there's obviously some serious situations of adversity and some very real threats that happen. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to go into that subject right now, but, you know, let's take, for example, you're, you're working with an athlete who maybe is a little bit more difficult in um, dealing with, you know, they're, they're maybe more abrasive or, you know, you don't have the best relationship with them. And I actually, I I did a post about this the other day Mm -hmm. on social media where, you know, they essentially tell you to go fuck yourself when you, when you ask them, you know, are you considering lightening the load? Right. Maybe not in so many words, but you know, they give you the look or you get a response back that's super sharp. How do you handle that situation? You know, both from a, Hey, I don't, I can't get myself fired up right now, but also what's your response back there? What would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's twofold. I think that there's a short-term intervention and then a more long-term. Um, I think in the short term, I would say, hey, like it's my job to keep you safe. You know, like you're you're in the gym. I'm here to make sure that you can come back tomorrow, right? Like let's not smoke your low back so much that you're gone for the next five days. And like you told me your goal was to train for longevity or you told me that your goal were these different things. And I know like watching you move that weight, I know that's going to blow you up so much that there's a chance that you won't come back tomorrow. And I think that that stands in the way of your goals. Um, 
at the end of the day, your athlete could still be like, nope, this is what I'm doing. Right. And some people, you can tell them that the stove is hot and they still are going to touch it and make sure it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like some people are like that. And, and we have to work with every personality that comes up in our gym. I think my more long-term solution to that would be like, you know, if you can catch them after class, if you can talk to them in a time where like, they're not in front of a lot of other athletes, um, we can kind of take ego off the table and, um, really show up, you know, I have been saying that a lot, but really show up for them and be like, Hey, you know, like you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm sensing like a disconnect between us. And I'm wondering how I can best show up for you. How do you like to be cued? Cause I have athletes that they like, they're like mortified if you give them a coaching cue in front of the class, because they don't want to be doing it wrong. They there's other athletes that are like, please tell me every single thing I'm doing wrong because I want to change it right now. And so sometimes it does, you know, we can read people pretty well. I think we have that innate ability as most coaches to connect with people or or read the room. Um, But sometimes it really does take stepping up and being like, Hey, how can I best serve you? How are you best coached? Because it's my job again, to show up for you. Mm. Um, And so people don't like to have their power taken away. People don't like to be told they're doing something wrong, right? It goes back to that conversation we were having earlier. So if you can give them that power back and say, hey, how is it that you like to be coached? Can you tell me your wants? Can you tell me what works best for you? Well, boom, like that's all it took was to have that conversation. Cause maybe you find out like, you know, I try to go really heavy because there's a girl who comes to 4:30 class and I'm like really trying to like, you know, impress her. And you keep telling me to strip weight and that's super embarrassing, you know, like there's, and, and then you can play that off as coaching and be like, yeah, but you know, what's even better than that? Like (laughs) moving well in a workout, (laughs) you know? So, and then, and then boom, it gives you that much more opportunity to, to bond with that athlete. You know, I think that there's so many opportunities for coaches out there to learn about different cues, techniques, um, different skills and so far as like coaching and the, the actual mechanics of the movement, the techniques of the movements. But there's less discussion about this kind of stuff. You know, the emotional awareness side, the empathy side, the relationship side. There's some buzzwords that get thrown around in the community. Care is one of them. Empathy is another one. But where would you suggest people who are coaching actively, who might not have a more advanced degree in psychology, where, where do you suggest that they find out or more information about this or practice this a little bit more? How do they begin? Where, where, where do you start? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I can be really kind of cheesy with it. And just with like the golden rule, right. Treat people how you would want to be treated. Mm. I think that I, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I've definitely had the experience where I go to a class and I take it and I'm not psyched on how the coach ran their class. There might be 10 athletes in that room that really love that coach's coaching style. And they always go to that class because they love that coach. Um, So there, there may be times, right. When your coaching style just doesn't mesh with a certain athlete. Um, thankfully we have a lot of different coaches most often at gyms and people can find what fits best. Um, but that's, you know, what I kind of come down to is like, 
man, like if I was on the receiving end of that cue, how would it land with me if I said it like that? Or like, how do I know that the cue or the joke that I just made that felt super appropriate, like maybe wasn't right. So treating people how you want to be treated. There's also, um, the book conscious coaching, which I think is a really great place to start. Um, if you haven't delved into this world at all, Mm -hmm. um, it brings up a lot of really important points, um, and how, just how important our language can be in the gym. Very cool. I I think that that's a great place for everybody to start. Obviously that golden rule, you know, something that, uh, is pervasive, you know, in the gym, outside of the gym, treat people how you'd want to be treated. You know, Lindsay, I think that this is really, uh, important stuff for, for coaches and, and athletes to be hearing, of course. Um, and, and I'd love to have you on again in the future to dive into like more specific situations or things that have come up. You know, this is, this is, this is learning that I think will help accelerate a coach's quote unquote success, you know, getting to that higher level that they want to get to much quicker than just studying how to, you know, cue and coach a person through the air squat. If you can develop more of a mastery of relationships of empathy of awareness and listening and all those types of things you're going to see massive gains in your effectiveness as a coach and and also just as a human human. as a human being right (laughs) yeah let's just be honest like it's it probably your skills that i was going to kind of end the podcast right there but i actually want i let's go one of the things that's really critical and i think that that people miss about this endeavor of coaching is that this is all stuff that we're doing in the gym that arguably is going to be more important for your athletes. Like we started at the beginning of this conversation, but more important for you as skills in your life, no matter where this stuff leads you. And, you know, that idea of this being just, I'm just a coach or I just work at a gym couldn't be further from the truth in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, you know, we talked a little bit of how I started at NC fit as a coach, um, and then moved into marketing. Um, I got called into Matt's office and The the other Matt, and it was when I was coaching and he was like, Hey, um, you're retaining all of the people that you do on, on ramp. What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you selling? And I was like, I'm not, I'm connecting. You know, like I get to see that person every day for five days. They're giving me, and it's at like, it was at seven 30 at night or something. We didn't get done until like eight 30. I'm like, they could be at home at dinner with their family and they're with me. Mm. And like, that's an honor. That's fucking so cool that people are like, with how busy our lives are, are like, I'm going to go give an hour of my day to this person. And so I was like, Uh, I don't have a pitch. Like, I don't have a pitch to give you. I don't know what I'm telling them at elements. I just care about every single person that's showing up to those things. Um, And he was like, you want to get into marketing? (laughs) So that's kind of how that worked. But um, yeah, to say to like, the way you speak to yourself is just as important as the way you're speaking to the athletes. So if you're in your head and your personal narrative is I'm just a coach, um, you know, this is just a stepping stone or or any of those things, like that is how you're going to show up your words and the way you talk to yourself creates your reality. Yeah. So if you're like, 
fuck yeah, I'm a coach. Like you're probably going to have a much better reality in that position than you would if you're, if you're stuck in that negative self-talk. Yeah. And just think about how valuable people's time is, right? You know, you only get 24 hours a day. You only get 80, 90 years, whatever this ride is going to take you. Um, You know, the people who are choosing to take one of those hours and then go into the gym, not to mention all of the maybe hurdles that it, <clears throat> they have in their own head about going there or the fear or the anxiety or like the, I could be doing 10 other things, but the fact that they show up and then the fact that they show up for your class, that they're there with you mm-hmm. and then you get to interact with them for that hour. It's such a, it's such a gift. It's such an amazing opportunity. And, you know, I, the, the profession of coaching, I think gets a bad rap outside of the fitness industry and, you know, outside of the people who really understand the value of it, but also, you know, we, I think that we can elevate that perception ourselves and we can treat that hour with more respect and keeping it sacred, I think is something that's really important. Not to say that it's gotta be like a church ritual or anything like that. And it's not certainly not brain surgery, but it's important stuff. Totally. I mean, a great example of that is when I was working at the treatment center, um, you know, I can't say that it was fitness that did this alone. The fact that people were sober for 30, 60, 90 days and the, and the amount of time that they were there causes a lot of change in the body too. Right. But what they noticed after implementing fitness was that people, the more confidence that they built in the gym, and in their body and in themselves was carrying over to everything. They were speaking more in group. They were more vulnerable in their psychoeducation. They were showing up differently with their one-on-one counselors. So exactly to your point, like the gym does so much more than train our physical bodies. The train, the, the training that we do in the gym, like we stand up a bit straighter, like we're confident walking into these things that we do. We, you know, we've been beaten down and sweaty and vulnerable and like laying on the gym floor, like, okay, then I know that this really big meeting that I'm about to walk into isn't as bad as Fran yesterday. Like, I know that my body is so capable of getting through hard things that I'm going to walk through my life with a little bit more swag, a little bit more, more confidence. And so, yeah, we're training so much more than muscles. Love that stuff, Lindsay. I, Lindsay, I would love to have you back on soon. Talk more about the influence of psychology, relationships, empathy, trust in what we do. For the listeners, where can they find out more about what you're doing? And you, uh, you have an, also an amazing podcast yourself. So where can they hear more from you? Yeah. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Taylor Locke. Um, I put a bunch of, you know, podcast stuff up there. So I host my show, Get Psyched. Um, I meet with a lot of of people from a lot of different walks of life, but oftentimes bringing it back to psychology or, you know, what are the underlying kind of lessons and tools that we have here. Um, So that's, those are the two places that I'm probably most active. Um, If you're interested in working with me in a therapeutic standpoint and you're in california you can always check out shinealight.info and go to the counselor tab lindsay find me there very cool lindsay thank you so much for your time have a great rest of your day thanks matt see ya